Hi, this is uh, Kermit the Frog here, along with Miss Piggy. Hi! Alright, and we are just uh, asking you to listen to our friend's podcast, the One Up Gaming Podcast, on whatever this station is. Um, and remember to uh, go green and conserve lots of energy. OUG Talks, yeah, OUG Talks, news and chat that really rocks. It's OUG Talks, yeah, OUG Talks. And we're here, it's What Up Gaming, it's OUG Talks, it's me, David. And this week, I've managed to cobble together another show, so... This week's guest, if you just want to introduce yourself and just say what you do, please. Hi, I'm Thomas Henschel, and I'm from Canada, and I'm making a game called Archmage Rises. And that game, do you want to describe it a little bit? Sure. Um, We're currently on Greenlight, um, trying to get some votes, and uh, Archmage Rises is a role-playing game set inside of a world simulator so the world kind of simulates along uh, people grow old towns grow and and fall um, wars happen whatever and then you play as uh, a character within that world who's a mage and um, you can get as involved as you want in the world and and uh, really affect it or you can just focus on gaining your own power and and stuff so it's a it's a whole new kind of open world uh, role-playing game I mean, I actually watched a sort of like a bit of a trailer for it, and it looks as though there's a hell of a lot in there that's just, to me, I'm not really like that sort of game player. It looks very in-depth, and it's got loads of other sort of game, sort of like mechanics blended together into one big mesh of a game. (laughs) Yeah, um... So I uh, play a lot of uh, tabletop role-playing or pen-and-paper role-playing, however you refer to it. And um, there's just a lot of flexibility um, when you're playing, you know, Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder or something uh, along those lines. And so when you're at the table with your friends and somebody is the game master um, and you go into an inn and, uh, you know, the purpose of going in the inn is to find your your next quest point. Um, And when you're playing pen-and-paper, you can say, yeah, well... I want to meet the uh, innkeeper and what's his backstory and uh, I want to become friends with him and, and, you know, I'd like to buy this in from you and, you know, the role playing can really take over and it makes for a really enjoyable uh, game session. Um, It it doesn't always have to be about combat and, and, you know, fighting the next uh, group of goblins. And so when I was thinking about uh, role playing games and I feel like they've really stagnated um, in uh, you know the AAA space. Um, we're always kind of doing the same things for the same reasons and maybe the graphics are better and they maybe have a different kind of spell system or something like that. But it's all basically the same. And so um, that's why I went kind of the world simulator approach which was to make the world as living, breathing, real as possible so that uh, you can go and create an orphanage uh, in your town and uh, you know you have to keep funding it and uh, you know that helps with the poor people in the town or you can go and, and meet the uh, local noble and uh, start a romantic relationship with them and uh, and then you can get divorced and you can start other families in, in other towns and uh, I'm just trying to, to bring the um, 
the breadth of what's available at the tabletop and put that in inside of a computer role playing game. And um, I, I don't think it's possible to, to make those things equal, but I think it's possible to go a lot further than say the games by Bioware or Bethesda. Yeah, I mean, I've like I say, I watched a bit of the trailers and I did like the art style. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I grew up uh, playing a lot of role-playing games in the early 90s. Um, Dragonlance is an inspiration. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Forgotten Realms. Um, and there was like a real art style in the, the mid-90s uh, with TSR. And um, I, you know, I, try, I try to capture that like oil-painted kind of look. Um, I really like that look. And so that's kind of the direction that we've gone. Um, it's a 2D game. And um, the reason that I've gone 2D is that as soon as you go 3D, like something like Skyrim or uh, Dragon Age, um, there's so much work that has to go into making that world just exist and the characters animate and um, you know the battle sequences to work and all that stuff. Like, and I was like, what if we took all that work, skipped all that, and put it into the world and the things you can actually do? So like being able to capture any opponent in combat and take them back to your mage tower and put them in your prison and you have to feed them and maybe torture them and break their will. And now you've broken their will, you can make them work for you or you can sell them on the slave market and stuff. And like those are things that you can't do in any other game. And uh, they're not that hard if you're not spending all your time on the 3D effects and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think... That's the difference between like the some retro games and games nowadays. Some of the games, like on the PS1, where we started to go down the 3D route because the 3D was so basic, mm-hmm. some of those games now are unplayable, but some of the role-playing games on like the SNES and things like that, they're still as playable now as they ever were, just because the aesthetics of the actual game still hold up so well compared to like some of the PS1 sort of stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, if you were to look at, um, in the computer role-playing space in the 90s, what Ultima um, was doing, and then you look at like the latest game from Bioware, and it's been like 20 years later, right? Like, And the team sizes are huge now, right? You got like 200 people working on a game. And yet you could do more in Ultima 4 in 94 than you can in the latest AAA role-playing game. Like, And so um, I just think that if we think about role-playing games differently, we can get a very different kind of role-playing game. And so that's what I set out to do and I'm trying to achieve with Archmage Rises. So, I mean, I'll just apologise now. Basically, Friday is not a good day for me. It's either interviews early in the morning or late at night and... I sort of sleep because I, I work nights and Fridays midday to sort of sleep. Um, but I did get an email saying the game and early access, but I don't know if it was going into early access or if it's going in soon sort of thing. Is it available to buy or is it still not quite there yet? No. Um, so earlier this week on Monday, we just launched our green light campaign. Ah. And so... We need to be uh, greenlit, and then once we're greenlit, um, I'm planning to do something that's more like um, Minecraft um, or early uh, Prison Architect, um, where if you pre-order the game, hey, I'll give you something you can play right now, but um, if you pre-order the game, you get like a really great deal on it, and then um, I'm not really planning to do early access. Um, 
because, well, there's a number of reasons that I don't plan to do early access. Um, so uh, there's a big game show in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, called Gen Con, uh, the best four days in gaming. And uh, we're going to be there on August 4th. And um, that's when we're going to make the pre-orders available and people can get a, a download version of the game and start playing Archmage Rises right away. So it's it's definitely not the full, full release. It's, it's just like a small little slice of Archmage Rises, but at least give people a taste of, of what the game is. Yeah, I mean, the only problem I have with that kind of... You said pri- Prison Architect. And yeah. I actually had the, the game when they released it about was it a year and a half ago now. And I put about three, four, five hours into it and thought, oh, it's very basic and there's not much to it. But I've yeah. never loaded it up since. <laughs> exactly. You know, because that... you just got sick of the game as it was and then... Every two, three months, you keep getting emails, we've updated, we've updated, but it's like, oh, I'll just wait till it comes out, and then when it comes out, it's like, oh, I played that two years ago, I can't be bothered. <laughs> you nailed it, David. Um, that, to me, is, is the biggest problem with early access, and so um, that's why I want to give people like a very small demo, like one hour that you can play, and it just gives you a taste of Archmage Rises, and then you got to wait until release, and re- release is uh, early next year, like uh, January, February, March of next year, and so um, you know, you got to wait kind of the nine months, and then you get the full experience. Right. So will this? Will you be looking at trying to get it on the home consoles, or will it be like PC only? Um, I'm currently already approved on Xbox. Um, I haven't approached Sony yet, but I do plan to, and um, so it will be consoles and uh, PC and Mac, and post-release possibly uh, Linux as well. I, I personally don't uh, know a lot about Linux, and so I, I, it might be quite hard. Um, but I also hear that Linux community is a really great community that will do all the testing and stuff for you. So um, it's certainly something that I'm considering. So yeah, PC and console. Yeah, I mean, if you get it on Linux, you can then get it on those Steam machines or Steam boxes, whatever you call them. Yeah, exactly. So that sounds pretty good to me. I mean, I'm not quite sure how well they've taken off, though, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I- I haven't looked at the numbers. I, I'm just trying to make a good game on PC right now, and then I'll start figuring out all the other places I can get it. Yeah, and at least with all the machines now using the basic same sort of architecture of the hardware, at least it shouldn't be too difficult to get it to function on all the like consoles and different bits and bobs. You're, you're totally right. I, I really hope um, that Unity makes it easier to do that. I'm using Unity 5 in order to build the game, and um, you know it looks like it should be easy to go all those platforms, but um, I've made two other mobile games in the past and uh, put them out onto Android and BlackBerry and Nook and like so many different platforms. I learned my lesson, man. It's hard going all those platforms and all the testing and the little, little things that are slightly different and stuff. So, um, so definitely PC, Mac... Uh, and Xbox One, um, and then I'm working on uh, maybe getting uh, PlayStation and uh, Linux. I tell you, I've had a problem with my Xbox One for the last year. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. See if you think it's strange or not. I took it down on the plane, and when I got it out, the control pad wouldn't sync up to the Xbox One. And I've got to use a USB cable to make it like a physical connection. Wow. And when I've got the connect plugged in, 
every 10, 20 minutes or so, it keeps coming, um, every message saying, connects not, not connected. And then it huh. reconnects and disconnects and reconnects. And so I think my Xbox is dying. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> That's, that sounds terrible. But yeah, so that's annoying because I can't play any like multiplayer games because the, I mean, I don't know if, like the Xbox One, I don't know if you know the USB sort of port on the top. It's like one of those little micro USB ports and it just takes a tiny fraction of a little nudge to actually disconnect it from the console. Oh, So wow. you literally have to sit completely still while you're playing a game. <laughs> that sounds terrible, David. It is, it is. It's the hardships I live with. That is definitely a first world problem. Yeah, so I went out and bought a PS4, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. Problem solved. <laughs> anyway, so, how long have you been within the games industry? Uh, I started making games in uh, 2012, um, so this would be my fourth year. So it's not that long, really, but I think you have been dabbling for quite a while. Yeah, um, I started uh, programming, uh, trying to make games when I was six years old on a really old TRS-80. That was back in the 80s. Um, So I've been tooling around, learning how to program and uh, make things uh, back in the DOS days and then Windows 3.1, Windows 95 and stuff and learning DirectX and and just always learning on the side and everything. But uh, I decided uh, with my wife to go uh, full-time into making games in uh, 2012. So um, uh, four years ago, at 35. So finally at 35, I was was able to get my life organized in such a way that I was able to just dive right in. And I've got notes on here saying that you spent a lot of money making a couple of games for mobiles, and they failed miserably. Yes, they did. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> uh, yeah, my uh, um, so I run a software company, and um, uh, the software company is doing pretty well. And um, we did um, mobile business applications, and I was like, okay, we're going to take this expertise, and we're going to make some really great mobile games. And uh, so I started a division um, making mobile games, and I was uh, the lead designer, and had an artist, and. Uh, another programmer, and so we we went along and, and worked for two years uh, making two different games, and put them out into uh, like I said all the, all the different platforms like a- anything that would run it I put it on, um, and uh, yeah we spent about four hundred thousand um, dollars making those games and I made about eight thousand dollars in return, so it was uh, pretty terrible. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I learned a whole lot. Um, I learned a lot about the mobile industry and that I really don't want to be there. <laughs> and I, I learned a lot. I had, to, I had to make my own game engine in C++ and everything. So it was uh, a lot of work to do that. And um, then I, I found Unity and I was like, what am I making my own game engine for? This is, is way better. So I switched to Unity and um, I feel like I'm on a good uh, trajectory now. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't have got on this good path if I hadn't have gone down the wrong path first. I mean, we're good friends with a couple of like developers over here in the UK, and I was talking to someone who used to be massively famous in the early 90s, he used to okay. run Sensible Software, and he made a free-to-play game, I think it was last year, and he basically sort of said to us that he would never do that again, for the simple reason <laughs> it's 
yes, it's free for people to buy, but you have to spend thousands of pounds a week marketing the game just so people will download and hopefully give you tips. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, what exactly were the games that you made? Um, the first one was called Catch the Monkey, um, which was a um, a non-violent action game um, where there are monkeys getting into a farmer's field and you would have to tickle them and the farmer would then be able to catch them and, and take them out. Um, it, I guess it ends up being a kid's game. I, I didn't really intend for it to be a children's game, but it ended up being that way. And uh, at the time, I didn't even have kids when I uh, started that. And now my uh, three-year-old plays it and loves it. <laughs> so unfortunately, I'm not going to make any money from her. Uh, and then uh, the second game I made was A is for App. And it's a story time book um, that, uh, you know, A is for App and B is for Blog and C is for Cloud and D is for Database. And so um, I was just trying to make something that dads could use to connect with their kids, like, especially around uh, bedtime. And um, and there's, there's little games in there that the kids could play on each of the letters. And, um, yeah, it was uh, pretty fun to play. Uh, just couldn't find anybody that wanted to buy it. <laughs> so, I mean, were these, like, touchscreen games or were the, the old sort of, like, was it Java sort of, sort of games? Um, um, no, it was on uh, iPhone, uh, iPad, um, Android, tablet. Were they free to play or were they not? Uh, the first game was not free to play. Um, it was a premium game, and uh, the second one was free to play. Um, so, because it was the alphabet, we gave you like the up until L uh, for free, and then if you wanted the whole alphabet, then you had to pay. Might as well. <laughs> so, you said doing that at least it gave you a bit more experience and of game development and knowledge that you've carried forward. Yes. Um, I, I think when you have a failure in your life, um, it's, it's either going to crush you <laughs> and, and, and your dreams and go, wow, I'm not going to do that again, right, and just get totally out of it. Or um, to use the lean startup techno- um, terminology, uh, you pivot and you're like, wow, what can I learn from this? And uh, what I learned was um, – I don't like mobile games personally, especially the direction that they've gone with the free to play and you're always clicking and uh, the idle clickers and all this. Like, I, I don't like to play those. So it's like, what am I doing here trying to make games really in a space where I don't really enjoy them? What do I like? I like hardcore PC games. That's what I like. So I'm going to go there. And um, I, I've managed to uh, start working on something that other kind of hardcore PC um, players and hardcore role players um, really like. And, uh, um, and and so I'm just so much happier um, being over here on the PC console side. Yeah, I mean, for me, especially the iOS, the, the actual games on, on that, it's either graphically amazing but so simple it makes your brain bleed. So yeah. the gameplay, it's like swipe here, swipe that, and that's basically it. <laughs> or, which I think is perfect for a touchscreen, like a management sort of style game. Yeah. Because you, you're tapping away on stuff, and I think that's perfect. I mean, the only game I've got on my iPhone at the minute is the Clash Royale. Okay. And I've heard a lot of people really hate that at the minute. 
but it's as deep as what I want. And then with it being a touchscreen game, it's so easy, and you know, you just swipe away and it works. It's the problem I have with the iPhone is you get like the really nice looking racing games or fighting games or action platformers and yeah. the virtual buttons and D-pads, they just do not work. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's a platform that's great in that, in that there's like millions and millions and millions of people that have it. It's in your pocket so you can play it any time. And then the control scheme sucks. Like it's just... And Apple, um, you know, created something so that you could kind of have like a gamepad and whatever, but nobody really owns the gamepads, and it just it just didn't go anywhere. So that's why something like a Nintendo DS or a PS Vita or something like that, it has a control scheme that works, and you can you know do a fighting game. You can really feel like you have good control over the game. Yeah, I mean, with just being sent, I think it's called a game vice, which is. It's such a weird-looking device. It's like two halves of the Vita held together by a bit of rubber in the middle <laughs> that you sort of, like, squeeze your iPhone into the middle of it. Yeah. And, yes, it works perfectly. But, I mean, I mean, I didn't know how much it was because I'm going to review it. So I had a quick look on Amazon, and they're about 80 quid just for a, a bit of rubber and some buttons. <laughs> yeah that's expensive you know and it's just like to me something like that should be less than a, an Xbox One pad or a PS4 pad because I think those <laughs> are built so much better <laughs> I agree with you but anyway camera suit uh, camera, Jesus Christ <laughs> the you wrote an article that got quite a lot of comments and what was the article about yeah so um i've been working on archmage rises for at that point about uh six or eight months and um and i was like you know i I went to my family and said you know i'm pretty serious about this i I think i'm i'm gonna go full time and, and work on archmage rises it seems like the kind of thing that people actually want as opposed to my previous games where they didn't want them um and so uh, so I was talking with some people, uh, uh, no VPR, and um, they said, well, you should write an article about why you're making a PC game rather than making a mobile game, um, since you've already made two mobile games. And so I was like, oh, okay. I didn't particularly want to do that, but I was like, okay. And, they, and I said, well, like, what should I write about? And they said, well, just write about kind of your, your experiences in the mobile space and, and why you want to go and do PC. And so I wrote this article, and I just uh, I laid it all out as to you know, what I thought about the mobile uh, space and um, the lessons that I learned, you know, things like I had hired my friend, best man at my wedding um, in order to be the artist and we worked together. And then when I ran out of money, I had to lay him off and he got really angry at me and defriended me in life and on Facebook. And, um, you know, I, I lost relationships uh, through this whole experience and it was just uh, a really difficult thing. And, um and, and, you know, so I've decided I'm, I'm going to continue on. I'm still going to try and make a game um, despite uh, the bad things that have happened. And so I, I just kind of laid it all out in that article, my, uh, my, my life story to that point. And uh, it just took off and, and became the number one article on Gamma Sutra. And uh, it was funny watching it kind of move its way up to the very top spot. And I dethroned an article from Blizzard about Diablo 3 and, and a couple other, you know, interesting things that were going on. And... Um, 
And then I just started getting tweets from like all these people, like uh, one of the, the executive producer of the Halo franchise, like tweeted me and said, "Man, read your articles, fantastic. Keep going, man. Good luck on Archmage Rises." And I was like, "Okay." And um, and it just ended up being uh, really great. And uh, Michael Dell of Dell Computers read it and um, and had Alienware contact me and, and just said, hey, help this Thomas Henschel guy out with Archmage. And so the head of Alienware ca- called me and said, hey, we really want to help you with Archmage Rises. What can we do? And um, Alienware has been great. They, they sent me some gear to help me um, build it. And uh, right now I'm at a convention and they, they gave me some gear to show the game on and, and stuff. So um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I, my biggest failure ended up giving me great success. <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty hard to describe. I tell you what, I need to get those contacts with Alienware. I really want, <laughs> like, a new PC, because I built this one up myself for... I'd have a guess it'd work out to about $250. Wow, that's uh, that's really inexpensive. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> and it plays all the... I mean, I've got a friend who's Indian, who's now living in... Canada studying for computer science and I basically told him there's my budget tell me what I can do and he basically emailed me all the parts saying that's as good as an Xbox One there you go (laughs) nice so I've got an Xbox One in a big tower next to me for like (laughs) 200 odd sort of dollars which is pretty good yeah but I would love like at the moment, I've got one of those... It's like a 10-inch, 2-in-1 laptop, tablet sort of thing. That, okay. you, know, you can like disconnect the screen and that, and it's pretty basic. Cool. But, I mean, yeah. I would love to have a, a real good quality laptop, you know, and I think Alienware, they do some really meaty sort of machines. Yeah. Um, I have never owned an Alienware before, uh, before this uh, strategic alliance, and uh, they sent me the gear, and it's fantastic. Um, I really like it, and I'm contractually obligated to say that this podcast is best listened on Alienware. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But the only thing I don't like about them is they seem to add a lot of neon lights everywhere. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. They, they call it uh, Alien FX. And um, so actually in Archmage Rises, when you cast a spell, um, there's all these uh, Alien FX uh, things that happen with the keyboard and stuff that, that makes it look kind of cool, like you're casting an ice spell or a fire spell and stuff. So, No, that actually does sound pretty sweet. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I told them that I would have the best implementation of Alien FX they've ever seen. And so they that convinced them to send me some gear. I mean, to be honest, I've never even heard of Alien FX. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, yeah, it's built into the keyboard um, and also into um, the machine itself. Like, there's lights along the side, and you can do, like, 6.8 million colors by varying uh, the red, blue, um, and uh, green. Um, and so you can do effects with the with the lighting. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, with the colors, I'm pretty stumped. I'm, like what technically they call total colour blind. And <laughs> I mean I always remember going to a, an early demo showing of the Xbox One when they had the Rise Son of Rome. Yeah. And in the early previews to do an execution, the control pad symbol would appear above someone's head. 
right. and they sort of got negative feedback saying it looked stupid having a big circle or X over someone's head. So they yeah. changed it. So around the head and shoulders of the enemy characters, it would glow like blue, red, yellow, but only slightly. And during the demo event, we were playing and the, I kept hitting the wrong button because I couldn't tell what color it was. Oh, and no. the guy was over my shoulder saying, oh, you should have pressed the red one. It's like, I don't know what the red one is. I'm bloody colorblind. <laughs> you know, so you maybe should have left the symbol above the head so I could see what the hell button I was supposed to press. Yeah, exactly. And they were like writing notes, you know, we'll, we'll think about that. It's, yeah, it, it never came back in, which was <laughs> a, a shame. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, well, that's not for me to think about as a developer, right? Is I, I'm not colorblind, so I honestly don't think about it. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you brought that to my attention, so I'll, I'll try and make sure that I don't do that. But, I mean, you can get sort of like these other games where they've got colorblind modes, mm. but because they've... I think there's three different variations. One where you see reds but not sort of like blue. One where you see blue but not red. It's all the spectrum... Mm. But okay. because I've got total colorblind, no matter which one I select, it's one of the colors I don't see anyway. Ah, so okay. nothing helps me. Uh, well, I'm sorry so, to hear that, David. It's fine. <laughs> I see stuff just in my own pretty little way. <laughs> yeah, all right. You got a unique view on the world. Yeah, everything's like big, like bright purples, and I, I love <laughs> neon colors because they're just what stand out to me. Okay. So, how many people have actually helped you develop this game, or has it been yourself only all the way through? Yeah, that's a kind of a difficult question uh, to answer, because uh, on the one hand, I, I, I would rightfully say, like, oh, I did it all myself, in, in the respect that, you know, I'm the one who wakes up each morning and works full-time on the game, and um, I'm the one financing it and, and paying for other people and stuff. Um, but there's no way I would be able to do this game uh, all on my own. Um, I get stuck on things in Unity, and I call up um, Nick Biondi, and uh, or I get stuck on something else. I call another friend, John Collins, and um, I have a musician that helps me. I have a writer that helps me. I have a friend in Florida that helps me with some things with Unity and, and stuff. So um, there's, there's officially three kind of full-time people working on the game with me right now. Um, and uh, so, some people just came into the room that I'm in. Um, some kids are playing ping pong. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, so th- right now there's three full-time people, an artist, a programmer, and myself who's a programmer designer. Um, and then I, I have uh, you know people that help me with the graphic design, with the logo. I have people that are, are help me with the music and sound effects and voiceover uh, and stuff. So the team is, is eight people that are, have really had their hands in on Archmage. Um, and full-time is, is three right now. And it says you've been working on the game for about three years. Yes. Is that full-time uh, or on and off? Um, sorry, I'm at a, uh, a conference. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was in a quiet room. <laughs> uh, until some kids came in to play ping pong. Um, so, 
uh, yeah, I've been working on the game uh, for three years, uh, pretty much full time. Um, I, I own several other businesses, and um, sometimes I've had to take a break and go and deal with business problems there and stuff, and, and come back. Um, but pretty much full time uh, that whole time. And um, I think I have about a year uh, or so left to go on the game. I mean, right now is July, and I'm planning on releasing, um, you know, February, March of uh, next year. Um, so. Uh, that's why I've hired another full-time programmer in order to help me reach that goal, um, and I may have to hire another programmer um, in order to do that. But uh, I'm pretty committed to getting this thing out in 2017. And do you know yet if there'll be any physical release, or will it just be like Steam? Um, I am looking at. Okay, so it'll definitely be a digital release. Uh, I mean, it's silly to to not not do that. Um, I am looking. Thing at doing not, I'm not going to do a Kickstarter. I want to be clear on that. I'm not doing a Kickstarter, but backer reward type thing like Kickstarter, where if you want to get a physical box and some, uh, you know, the art book and that kind of stuff, you know, at different price points, you you could actually get the physical thing. And um, I, I'm here at the con, and I, I have uh, some game boxes um, that are th- uh, 24 inches by uh, 36 inches. So what would that be in uh, centimeters? Um, Actually, it's about a meter tall. I was going to say, yeah, it'd be quite big. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a game box. It's a meter tall and about two thirds of a meter <laughs> wide, and uh, and it looks just like the old SSI role playing games from the '90s, the gold box games. Uh, you, you know, uh, Hillsfar, uh, Champions of Corinne, um, uh Pools of Radiance. You know, those kinds of games. It looks just like that. So, anyways. Um, you know, I, I might have physical game boxes that uh, that people could get because they they look really cool, just like the old SSI stuff. Come back here! Come back here! Come back here! Come back! Here. Oh, looks like the ping pong kids have left. Very loud. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. Sorry about that. I just got another contact thing. I was trying to read that, but I was trying to sort something else out. Um. So you've been working on the game for like three years. You've had other bits and bobs going along it going on in your life in that time. So it says here that you've had three kids move cities. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm a pretty busy guy. Um, like like I said, I, I own five other businesses, and um, and then on top of that, uh, while I've been working on this game, uh, my wife and I we've been you know getting older, closer to our forties, and uh, it's time to start a family. And um, so we've had uh, a girl, a girl, and a boy um, all in the time that I've been working on this game. So I went from, you know, having this really nice work environment in my house to now, like, kids screaming and crying and electronic toys going on and people falling downstairs and, you know, nap times and all kinds of stuff, craziness and stuff um, in the house. And um, and so uh, I managed to get an office outside the house that I could go and just be quiet and work and um, that was really great. And then we've decided um, recently to move cities uh, eight hours north of where I was. So I, I, I was in Toronto area, and uh, now I'm eight hours north of Toronto. And uh, and now I don't have anywhere to work, but I have to work in my noisy house again. <laughs> so it's uh, it's difficult being an indie, um, and uh, you know it's uh, harder even more so with uh, with really small kids. So you say eight hours north, so won't that get really cold in the winter? See, I, I moved in June, and so I, I don't yet know. But yeah, that's what everybody tells me. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, maybe I'll have to do some traveling during the winter or something. Um, 
it's uh, it's a real. I moved from uh, a place with 150,000 people, or well, the Toronto area is about four million people. So I moved from that to a town of 400 um, in the middle of nowhere, and uh, and so yeah, the, it's supposed to be uh, pretty snowy there. But you know, I I pretty much live most of my life indoors. If I'm not on the computer, I'm on the Xbox or the PS4. So maybe I won't even notice. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I used to live in the northeast of England and my girlfriend she's at university so we moved up to Scotland so right. I'm up here and everyone was saying oh it's cold up there it's cold up there but it's exactly the same <laughs> you know it's no different yeah. whatsoever especially when you're indoors <laughs> yeah crazy. yeah especially <laughs> so you say you've got a, a few businesses what sort of businesses are they? Do you mind? Yeah, sure. Um, so my first business that I started was uh, my software company, and um, it operates in the Toronto area. And um, I, I basically sort of retired from it and, and put somebody else in place to be the president and take care of everything. And, and he's really great. He's way smarter than me, and so he's done a, a really good job with it. Um, and so it's been running for uh, just over 12 years now. Um, and it was... I was started the software company and I was really, really sad that I didn't start a gaming company. Like I kind of like had that ch- choice, but um, I had some client contracts that were immediately possible if I started a software company. And so that's why I did that. And then, uh, so it was about 18 months later that I decided to start a gaming store called Hobby Kingdom, uh, very much like the Games Workshop um, stores that you would have there, you know, selling magic, board games, uh, miniatures like Warhammer, um, and uh, World War II stuff like Flames of War and whatever. And so um, we ran that gaming store, um, and it was it was really popular, but that's a really tough business to make any money in. And um, I learned a lot about gaming and gaming culture and role players and all that stuff, but uh, after 10 years, I had to close it down, um, which was just a, a couple of months ago. I had to close it. Um, and then uh, my wife accidentally bought a grocery store, and that was uh, two years ago. Um, so now we own that. And then my wife opened up a uh, fashion discount store uh, right beside the grocery store. So now we own that. And then we uh, have invested in some rental properties and that kind of stuff. So we kind of have a property management company that, that does that. So, And then I have my studio, which is Defiance Game Studio, making Archmage Rises. So those those are all the, all the businesses I have. It'll keep you busy. I'm a busy guy. I mean, I got some time, but <laughs> yeah, I'm keeping busy with three small kids on top of it. Because, like, when I was in my well, early 20s, quite a, oh God, quite a long time ago now, about 15 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, I used to own a, a own and run like a video game store nice. in my tiny little town where I was from. And okay. this is how bad it was. You'd open the door, look into the centre of the town, and you'd see maybe about five, six people walking around the town. <laughs> so it was pretty pointless, to be honest. <laughs> but okay. it was one of those things where it was the best three years of my life. And <laughs> yeah. it was just at the end where all the, the debts started to mount up and that, and it was just, it wasn't fun anymore. Yeah, I mean, as you've said earlier on, um, I I employed one of my friends from school um, because basically I had to have a full time job elsewhere 
then I'd come in and take over for a few hours at night, and then I'd work full weekends. I was doing like 80, 90 hours a week. Oh, man, yeah. I know what that feels like. And the the guy who I had in, I unfortunately, he basically said he wanted to go to another place or I'd have to increase his wage. And I was, mm. you'll have to go. I can't, you know, I can't do anything. And, right. you know, I think since then I've not really spoke to him at all. You know, so I think there was a bit of awkwardness there. I think he wanted yeah. to just stay there and not do now. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. It, it, yeah, when you mix uh, your your friends and your business, um, you take on um, real risks. Whether you know it at the beginning or not, <laughs> you definitely put the relationship at risk. And um, it's uh, yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, fortunately with my my friend, we've been able to reconnect uh, over Facebook and and chat a little bit. And um, even though he's had no involvement on Archmage, um, he's uh, a fan of the game and. Um, and looking forward to when it comes out. So, you know, it took about three years um, for to go from like total anger to some restoration. Well, I guess in the end, that's you know, it's it's good to you know just talk to people and be civil at the end of it. Because I know some yeah. people, it, it can be crazy. You know, life just gets in the way of everything. Yeah, it's um, not to get too philosophical on your podcast. It, it comes down to what what really is important in life. Is it is it games? Is it money and revenue and those kinds of things, or is it relationships? And um, as one gets older, um, you start to realize really the, the value of the relationships is more important than uh, whether or not we made any money with the game and and that kind of stuff, right? So, um, that, you know, sometimes you have to learn lessons the hard way. And um, you know, this is someone that I had lived with uh, as a roommate prior to getting married uh, to my wife and uh, he had lived in my mother's house for a while and uh, and then like I said best man at my wedding and um, he helped me uh, build the hobby store uh, for the first couple of years and then I transitioned him over to um, building our, our game studio and so we worked together in the game studio so we worked together for like eight ten years and stuff and then um, when I finally just ran out of money and had to shut everything down um, he took it uh, really hard um, and um, yeah, it was unfortunate, but anyway, like I said, uh, it's been a couple of years, and we've managed to start to repair that relationship, and and that's what's important to me. Yeah, yeah, that's friends and family. What they are the main things. I know, like when people are on my sort of site, they'll email me saying, "Oh, I, I can't do this this week. I've got this, this, this." It's like I'll just always email back. This is what we do for fun. We've all got work to do. And yeah. friends, family, they all come first. As long as they inform me of what's happening, I'll give them as much leeway as they need. Nice. And, I mean, like, I just think at the moment, the social media side of things has gotten crazy. I mean, it reminds no me a few weeks ago, or a month ago now, when No Man's Sky, when they sort of announced they were delaying for about, was it like six weeks? And okay. they, they got death threats saying, you know, <laughs> this game is my life, how can you delay it? Say, well, you've not played the game, how do you know that's your life? And what gives you the right to say, you know, it's just absolutely crazy at the moment. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, th I think culturally, um, I mean, I, I can't speak to uh, Europe, but uh, certainly here in North America, uh, I'm in the States right now and I live in Canada, that um, I think we've really lost sight of what is important truly in life. Um, it, it's a very me-focused culture, which is I want something and I want it now. Um, and, and that's just uh, uh, not a healthy way to live. I know. It's... We all play games to escape, but we shouldn't be using games as a means to just shout at people, whatever. But Yeah, you're right. It's supposed to be about fun and games, <laughs> right? So if you're making death threats about something like fun and games, I, I think, yeah, there's clearly something wrong there. Cause, I mean, it, I remember a couple of years ago, one of the Call of Duties one of the people changed the sniper so it was like 0 0.2 milliseconds different with the reload time mm. and they got death threats. <laughs> it's just like, what the hell's going on? So, sorry to end it on a bit of a downer there. If you want to just <laughs> mention like your Twitters, the websites, anything where people can get more information about the game. Sure. I, I would love people to go to archmagerises.com um, and from there, uh, you can you can see my Twitter. You can send me an email. Um, I'd love to hear from you uh, about what you think of the game, what you think of the trailer. Um, love to dialogue with people about the game. So archmagerises.com. And if you ever need anyone to stream really badly and say really inappropriate things over the top of it, I'm your guy. All right. I've been looking for one of those. <laughs> I have this list of people that I need to help me, and that was one. Really bad, inappropriate streamer. <laughs> oh, God. I guess the problem I have is I finished work at, like, or I used to have just been moved back on to day shift, but for the last year I've been on night shift, so I finish at 7 o'clock in the morning. I get home, and my girlfriend's still in bed for about you know, three, four hours. So I'll yeah. put the Xbox on, so I can't really talk loud with the headset on. <laughs> So I'm talking very quietly <laughs> while I have no idea what I'm doing because I'm so tired. And then I'll get people yeah. on the chat saying, what are you doing? You should do this, this, this. I say, oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's great, David. <laughs> so you said that the game's being shown for the first time. Yeah, so I'm at a conference here in uh, Portland called CGDC, and um, I am showing it to real live people right now. I have uh, three play areas set up in my booth, and uh, there's actual live people standing there playing the game. And um, one of the fans that has been following it uh, that came out to the show, um, he, he was the first person to play it, and, and I asked him, like, so? And he says, dude, it's more fun than I had hoped. <laughs> It's awesome. I was like, "Wow, okay." So um, we're we're real excited. It's a it's a systems based game, um, and so every time you play is completely different. It generates a new world and and all the characters and quests and everything. And so um, you know, when, once you play and you die and then you start again, you're just like, "Holy cow!" Like I got a whole new world and everything's all new again. Like it's just so fresh, uh, completely different from any other role playing game. So um, people are really like. It. Uh, of course, there's bugs and stuff, which I have to fix later today. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it, it's just great to see it in the hands of players and, and people just keep coming back to it and playing it. Um, so uh, it makes the team and I real happy. Well, I, I wish you 
the best of luck while it's actually on display and people are playing it that it doesn't have too many hard crashes. <laughs> Thanks. It hasn't crashed once, so at least the game's solid. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And I don't know about other people, but I myself, as I say, I, I watched the trailer and there was, I think on the first watch there was too much happening on, you know, saying all the bits and bobs that were within the game. I'd yeah. have to watch it again and break it down a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, a fast trailer. Um, you know, we, we did it for Greenlight because we just wanted to, like, go pow! Like, here's all the amazing things that you can do just to give people a sense of the scope of the game. Um, I don't know of any other game where you, like, get land. In a role-playing game, you get land and you, like, decide, like, am I going to grow wheat or am I going to have, you know, wine? And uh, so you, you grow grapes and you make your own wine and then you start selling the wine throughout the world, right? And that's, like, a perfectly legitimate goal within the game is to be, like, a vinter and go around selling your wine and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy game, uh, pretty crazy people that are making it. Really, really ambitious. <laughs> well, hopefully the next... Nine, ten months will go very smoothly and you'll have a very successful launch come hopefully February sort of time. Thank you, David. And it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you today, Thomas. Yep, great meeting you. And you'd best get back to hands-on and show these people how to play the game. <laughs> okay, thanks so much for having me, David. Okay, thank you. Hey guys, Justin here. I just wanted to say that I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot. Yes, you in particular in that way and I wanted to say I think you're great I've always said that about you and I was wondering if you think we're great if you could give us a quick rating on iTunes we'd really appreciate it it would really really help us out in that you know podcasty sort of way and if you're feeling particularly festive perhaps even a little saucy maybe stop by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash O-U-G and see if you can't slip a few bucks our way after all Every little penny or whatever space money they use in Europe helps out the show. Thanks for listening. OUG Gaming will always be free, but with your support, we can always move forward and always be better. <laughs>